The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. wonderful church. And wasn't that music beautiful? Boy, it's uh, just stirred my heart to no end. And I don't know who inserted the word Vietnam in one of those songs, but it was so beautiful to hear it to my ears. Of all the countries in the world, you put that word in there. Um, And to be with Dr. Carter again is such a blessing. Wonderful pastor. Uh, He is, to me, just the model pastor. And I know you're glad to have him during these days. Uh, He was the chairman of the building committee when we were building our International Learning Center way back in the uh, 1970s. And uh, I was charged with responsibility of uh, getting that thing brought into being and designed and uh, the programs designed and everything. And so worked a little bit closely with him as a trustee and been such a joy to know him over a number of years. And to get to come back here to this church is such a blessing. I'm here, Uh, I look like I'm an old man, but I'm still working. I'm still serving the Lord. But uh, I've been your missionary now for for 52 years, almost 53 years. Uh, You may not have ever seen me before. Probably would not have known me if you saw me out on the street, wouldn't have known my name. But you can say, and I can say with all honesty, that I have been your missionary for 52 years. Uh, because every Sunday morning, you, uh, you share your resources uh, with the Lord. And, uh, you know, your church can, could, uh, it's a large church, and it could send a number of missionaries to the field, yes. I, I go in a lot of churches that have, say we have five missionaries overseas, ten missionaries. But you know that probably over half of our Southern Baptist churches are less than 100 people in attendance. Uh, a large number of our churches are very small. And all of those churches could never, ever send a missionary to the field because they just don't have the resources to do it. So when it comes to the Great Commission, there's no way they could fill that Great Commission other than to pray, of course, and that's what is needed more than anything. But as far as the resources to actually take part in somebody going to the field, it's very difficult. But when you get all these large churches and these medium-sized churches and these little country churches, and they pool their resources together, in a cooperative way, and, and like at Christmas time, they all join in the Lottie Moon Christmas offering together, and they rejoice because you have not just one or two missionaries overseas. You've got 4,900 missionaries all around the world in 240 different people groups in every corner of the world. That's something to be proud of. Amen. That's something to say amen about. Amen. <laughs> You're a part of the ministry of all of those, including my wife and me. And uh, we're so grateful to you. And it's good to come back to America and be able to come to the church and say thank you. And I do say thank you from the depths of my heart. Uh, Some people do look at me and they wonder, how old is he? If he's still a missionary overseas, uh, how, how old is he anyway? Well, a taxi driver down in Saigon asked me that question about three years ago. I got in a taxi, and he said, how old are you anyway? He said it in Vietnamese. And I said, I'm 79 years old. At that time, I was. 
He said, oh, he said, you don't look a day over 75. <laughs> I wasn't sure that was a compliment. But uh, he took me to my little room there that morning, and uh, I went up to, to my room and was preparing to, to, uh, to teach. And two cleaning ladies walked in. And they were looking at me rather strangely the whole time they were there. And finally, one of them said to me, said, um, I think when you were young, you were, good, you were very handsome. <laughs> and I said to her, you mean I'm not handsome now? She said, oh, uh, you're handsome now except for your stomach. <laughs> I, uh, uh, from that point on, I quit talking about age in Vietnam. I just say, well, I'm getting on up there. That's all. I want to share with you this morning one of the most beautiful chapters in all of the scripture, just a portion of it. Oh, it's so beautiful in Isaiah 55. And to look at the title of my sermon, Briars and Thorn Bushes and Pine Trees and Myrtles, you think this is going to be a lecture on agriculture, <laughs> but not at all. There's something behind that, as you will see in this scripture. I'd like to begin with the sixth verse of Isaiah 55. And if you have your Bibles, please turn with me there where Isaiah is saying to Israel at a very, very difficult time in the history of Israel. They were surrounded by the armies of Tiglath-Pileser, who was the great king of Assyria. And he was determined to take over all of the Middle East and uh, certainly to take over Israel. And uh, Isaiah comes to them, to the people, and he says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon. That's a plea that he gives to Israel. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And then he gives a promise to them. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty." but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. That's the promise. And then he gives a proof of that promise. He says, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. Instead of briars, will grow the myrtle. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign, which will not be destroyed. Oh, Father, may this word sink into our hearts this morning. And may it touch the places that we need to be touched and we need to be stirred, Lord. May your Holy Spirit enter into our hearts and interpret this word so that we may grow and learn and we may be prepared to do what you would have us to do and to take your word to the ends of the earth. And we want to thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 
Look at that plea. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Sometimes we get too far from the Lord that we can't hear him anymore. And we drift away. But he says, while he can be found, don't, don't drift too far, you can't hear him. Call on him while he's near. Because the day may come when you're too far from him. and You can't quite hear what he says. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And then he gives that promise about the rain coming down, watering the earth, the the seed comes forth. I want to put that into context of missions today. What does he mean by briars and thorn bushes being replaced by pine trees? All of us go through deep waters. Sometimes we feel like we're in a briar patch. Every way we turn, it hurts. It scratches us. It's painful. Sometimes we're discouraged and depressed. I think of today so many people that go through deep grief, the loss of a loved one. And having served in the Middle East uh, for, for almost five years, in recent years during the Iraq war, I know the grief that comes through war. And having served in Korea in the Navy for so many years, I know what it is to suffer the grief of lost ones. And sometimes we feel like there's no hope and, and we're just uh, caught up in, in the exigencies of life. Divorce and death and the loss of loved ones. And we feel like we're in a briar patch. I know all of you from Alabama have been in a briar patch before. I'm from North Carolina and I sure have. I know what it feels like. It's hard getting in, it's hard to getting out of the briar patch and, and the thorn bushes. And in Africa, I've been in Africa and seen the thorn bushes with thorns like syringe needles. And they use them to keep the wild animals out and surround their village so that the wild animals can't get through. They're so big. If you ever get caught in those things, they're just painful beyond words. But Israel is going through real pain. And Isaiah says, one of these days... The day is going to come when God is going to uproot all of those thorn bushes that you're in and all of those those briars that are surrounding you. And you're going to break forth with song. And God is going to plant a pine tree where there were briars and myrtle, where there were thorn bushes. And those pine trees are evergreen. And they smell so wonderfully. And the myrtle, I know in the Middle East, some of them have this fragrance in the spring. It just drifts over the land. And I've been in the middle of those myrtle trees. They're so beautiful with their flowers. And just think how they'll replace the briars and the thorn bushes. That's what he's saying. I'm going to come to you. And I'm going to work miracles in your midst. That's the way the mission field is, really. We were asked, Rachel and I, to transfer from Vietnam when the Iraq War, the second Iraq War was starting. Having been in the Korean War as a, in the military and then in Vietnam during the entire Vietnam War, they felt like I might have some experience that would be valuable. And so they sent me to the Middle East and we lived on Cyprus for a while, moved over to Amman, Jordan to be a little closer to Baghdad, to, to Iraq, and uh, then up to Morocco in the Middle East, uh, the North Africa. And so we had uh, some wonderful years there, very difficult years. But uh, I was in one of the countries in the Middle East, uh, well, in North Africa, actually. I'm not going to tell the name of the country because uh, to be a missionary in that country or to convert from Islam to Christianity, the, the government sentences you to death. And there are people put to death, even today, because they became Christian. 
in, in this country and many others out there. And there's a people group in one of those countries, about three million people belong to that language group. Not one Christian could we find in the whole group. One of uh, your missionaries decided he would begin witnessing among those people, brought a man to the Lord who then brought somebody else to the Lord and finally had a group of people, actually four groups meeting for Bible study. And, and they had to meet underground very secretly. And uh, they grew to about 27, 26, 27 people. And so he told me, he said, we're going to get all of them together. Each, one, each group doesn't know the other exists, but they're coming to my home in my living room. And we're going to have the first joint worship service ever in this language. And he said, would you come and preach to them? Oh, that's a red flag in front of a bull, you know. I said, yes, I'll be glad to. Went there that night, and uh, there were, there were uh, 20, about 29 people there. We discovered that two or three of them were not believers, which was kind of a worry, but uh, some Christians had brought them. There was one lady outside begging to come in, and finally the, uh, they said, well, come on in, but sit in the back. They don't like for men and women to be in the same room worshiping together. Uh, even the Christians haven't quite got, hadn't gotten quite there yet, but they let her come in. And I preach from 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul uh, describes what it defines the gospel. You know uh, I have, how I have received and come to you. He says that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Peter and the disciples and the 500 souls. That's the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. He was raised from the dead. He was buried, raised from the dead. And he appeared after that death. That's the gospel. So I preached that to them that night and shared with them what it meant. And then we had the Lord's Supper. First time these people had ever even heard of the Lord's Supper. It was a, so, such a moving service. In the quiet, in the dim light of that living room, we passed out the elements and explained what each was and what this meant. They were so serious. And as I sat there in the quiet, as we partook of the Lord's Supper, I wondered, do they really understand? Did they get it in their language, what this is all about? And here was an old man over here there were tears streaming down his cheeks. And here was a young man, tears in his eyes overflowing. Over here was another one. And gradually I began to see almost everyone in that room was weeping when they were taking the Lord's Supper. I'll never, be this, I'll never have the Lord's Supper the same again as I sit and partake of it. It had such deep meaning to these people who were taking it for the very first time in their life. And I thought to myself, here is a pine tree. <laughs> in the middle of a briar patch. Here's a myrtle tree that has come up. God has put right here in the middle of all of this. And from this is going to grow how many myrtles and how many pine trees across here. And for so long after that, I thought to myself, what if this, what if we had not gone and lived among those people? What if we had not told them about Jesus? One young man came to me after we finished. Everybody was about to leave. Sat down beside me. He was a university student. And he said to me, he said, can, I, can we talk? I said, yes. He said, I've been a Muslim all my life. That's all I've ever known. I didn't know there was ever any other religion that you could follow. And he said, I've watched our Muslim people kill each other, behead people, innocent people. I've watched them throw them into prison. 
I've watched such terrible things that we do. And he said, never once in my whole life have I ever heard that Allah loves us. I've never heard that there is a God who loves us unconditionally until tonight. And he said, I am so deeply moved in my heart by this to know that there is something else to believe. I've always wanted to believe something else, but I didn't have anything. Tonight, I'm taking Jesus as my Savior. I'm accepting the God's love. He just said, I want, it's more than anything in the world. And the tears flowed down both of our eyes. And again, I thought to myself, what if I wasn't there, sitting there that night? What if we hadn't shared the gospel? He would still be in the briar patch. He'd still be hurting and wounded and, and wondering what his life about anyway. This is what missions is all about. You see, when somebody hears that call of God and the people gather around them and they, they share their resources and they send this person whom God has called out into a dark place in the world to shine the light of Christ to the people in that place to bring some light into darkness. And people come to know Jesus and then things begin to change. Come to Vietnam with me, which is a communist country, still is a communist country, though it's easing somewhat. When I went back and uh, after 14 years being gone, I left just as Saigon was collapsing. And I, I went back to Vietnam for the first time 14 years later, 1989. And things were very difficult. And I got to meet some of our believers all the churches had been closed. Pastors separated from their people, put in work camps and all kinds of things. I went to bed that night at 11 o'clock. I was tired. I'd traveled a long way. Six o'clock in the morning, I was knocked on the door. I answered the door. I threw some water on my face real quick. I was so sleepy. Ran to the door, opened it, and these six men came in, hugging me, laughing and crying and tears flowing. And I didn't know who these people are. <laughs> They were weather-beaten, their hands were raw, and their faces were just wrinkled. And, and then I suddenly realized these were my students in the seminary in 1975. God had somehow protected them. They came in and they said, we haven't studied in, 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 in 14 years. Nobody's taught us. And we heard you were here, and we sneaked in this morning, waited till 6 o'clock, and we came to your room and... We've come for you to teach us today. They shared with me everything that had happened over those 14 years. They were all planting underground churches, and God had blessed little pine trees coming up all in the middle of that communist country and myrtle trees blooming. And 8 o'clock came, and I, I was hungry. I said, let's order up some, uh, some noodles or sandwich or something. They said, no, we decided that this is the Word of God, and we're feeding on the Word today. We're fasting. We just want to study the Word. We studied till noon. I was about to collapse. I was so hungry. Let's, let's bring up some food. No, this is the Word of God is our food. We don't want anything to eat today. They slipped out at 5 o'clock in the crowds that were gathered around, and nobody noticed them. They told me they waited till 5. They said, you know, if the police knew we were here, they'd not only arrest us, but they'd arrest you too. So uh, we had to sneak in this morning. Now we'll sneak out. I went and ate a good dinner, came back, went to bed. The next morning, 6 o'clock, knock on the door, open the door. There's six different ones. All came in, 
hugging me, laughing, brought out their Bibles and a little notebook and a, and a pencil. And by the way, one of them had an old yellow sheet in his, in his Bible. And he held it up to me. It was all ragged around the edges. <clears throat> he said, you know what this is? I said, what is it? He said, it's the last lecture you gave at the seminary in 1975. He said, I have preached this all over Vietnam. <laughs> and they said, did you see what shape it's in? I said, well, this morning we're going to get another one. <laughs> and you can preach this one all over Vietnam. But what a joy it was to work with them. They had been in the briar patch. And for one day, God blessed them with that message. Well, we studied all that day, and, and like 8 o'clock, you know, I said, let's eat. No, this is, our, this is the Word of God. We're just fasting today. All day long we fasted together. I went out, got a good meal, and bought an extra sandwich, brought it home, and I was ready. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I uh, got up at 5, took my bath, ate my sandwich, drank my coffee, waited, and nobody came. <laughs> But what a joy those two days were to see what God was doing and working a miracle in the midst of that people. Come with me down to the Delta of Vietnam. One of my, two of my students, we, we uh, later reopened the Bible school and a young couple who were in my, uh, my uh, Bible school class said, we feel God is calling us to go somewhere where there's no church at all in this country. We want to find a place where they don't know anything about Jesus. And we want to go there and live. So they went about two and a half hours, which meant uh, they had to commute up to the Bible school long distance. It was very difficult for them. They found five people in that crowded area who had at some time in their life known Jesus. But because there was no church around, they hadn't done anything. They hadn't followed the Lord. And he said, you want to have a Bible study? They said, oh, yes. Thursday night, we'll have Bible study. Got there, there were nine people there. They had brought some friends. Next week, there were 19. The next week, there was 38. The next week, there was 79. Now, two and a half years, almost three years later, they have 900 believers down there in four different locations. And God is blessed. You see, he's taken away the briars down there and planted pine trees in the middle something that's going to last beautiful something beautiful for the people and more people coming we're having to send some other people down there see that's what God does that's that's what missions is God is working through people not the missionary may go and pioneer it but then as he leads people to the Lord then God takes them and leads others to the Lord and gets his work done through them and that's that's what missions is all about you see and what you're involved in let me share this story with you. Uh, I was reported to the police just a few years ago, maybe five years ago. And uh, some people came to me and, and said, uh, you've been reported as a, to the police and they're asking questions. And something's going to happen to you. I said, get me an appointment with the highest person you can find in the police. They did. And I met I was taken to the uh, to a big yellow building with barbed wire and ushered into a little room and sat down at a, a table kind of like the movies, you know. Guy came in, began questioning me, took my passport away, began questioning me for about 45 minutes. 
And I determined to tell the truth because I knew he'd keep asking me the same question. I wouldn't remember what lie I'd told. So I told the truth. Then he said, why do you really come to Vietnam? And I said, I thought to myself, that's my question. I said, you know, I love the Vietnamese people. And I've been here a long time. I know the customs. I know the culture. I know the language. I teach in Vietnamese. And for me to go back to America and waste all of this, and sit on my patio and just feed the birds, I want to die. I'd rather die. If I can't come here and teach, I have no more reason to live. He looked at me kind of surprised. He was thumbing his pencil on the desk, really nerve-wracking. For the longest time, we sat there in silence. Then he said, you see that file? I said, yes. He said, that's everything you've ever done in Vietnam. We know who you are. He said, people are saying two things. Number one, you speak Vietnamese like a Vietnamese. And I denied that, but he said, I've never questioned a foreigner without a translator. And I, we didn't need one today. I understood everything you said. He said, number two, all the people that we question say, one, say this, you have a special love for the Vietnamese people. And I said, he is right. I, they are right. I, I do have. God has given me this love for the Vietnamese. There's a story in my book I hope you have a chance to read about the love God gave me for the Vietnamese people, why I've invested my life in that country. And I told him that I have that special love for the Vietnamese people, and I must be here. He sat there in silence. Finally, he said, I've changed my mind. We need someone like you teaching our people. Amen. He said, I want to tell you how you can come here legally. This is an atheist, communist, police, deputy director, national police. And he told me in the convention there, a small convention, made an application to them for me to come and teach. And uh, he wrote me just three months later in January, two months later in January, he said, your papers crossed my desk this morning and I'm very happy to inform you that I've signed that you're now an official professor of religion in Vietnam. The only foreigner to this day they've ever given that to. So I'm blessed. The Holy Spirit just came into that room and moved his heart. I know the Spirit was there. And he made that as, a, as, a, as an act of the Holy Spirit working through him. And because of that, we were able to, we had had a seminary before that I had started. It closed, they burned all the books, everything was gone. Now I had the privilege of reopening, this time a Bible school in, in Vietnam. And the good news is that we've been going five years. We've graduated. We had 50 students in our first class. They're all planning churches. We're seeing tremendous growth. Over 4,000 believers now in about six years, seven years. And we're so grateful God is moving in that country in the midst of communism. And they're, they're still persecuting. I don't want to say it's free. I just happen to have a little freedom. We established the Bible School, Bible Institute in Vietnam now. And the good news is that we just got word that in April we're opening a branch of that Bible School in Hanoi, the seat of communism. And we're doing it. And the police who interrogated me and, and other leaders there in the government have said, 
we give you permission to open this Bible school in Hanoi. That is a miracle of God. You're talking about a pine tree. <laughs> That's more like a, 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 a huge tree. <laughs> that, is, that is big. That is big. But that's the way God works, you see. What if you didn't send missionaries? That country racked by war for centuries. And our guys spent so many, so much blood in that country. And I was there with them as a missionary. It would have been all to vain and vain, it seems like. But it wasn't. Because you all... Our military prepared to land and helped us to have a beachhead in that country by keeping it open long enough to establish a church in Vietnam. And then now that church is growing and God is blessing. Praise the Lord. What if you didn't send anybody? What if there wasn't a young person sitting in a church one day who heard the call of God and said, Here am I, Lord. I'll go. I'll go. What if you didn't have 4,900 missionaries in the darkest places of this world willing to live there under difficult circumstances simply because God put his hand on them and turned a briar patch into a myrtle tree? <laughs> That's what God does. And what is your part in missions? I mean, you sitting here, you personally, how involved are you? When you see television at night and you see Iraq come up with a bombing or you see Syria, hundreds of thousands of people being killed, what's the first thing you think of? I would like to think you would ask, I wonder if we have a missionary there to minister in that time. Is that the first thing? Not many of us think of that. We see the news, we're horrified by it. But I hope from now on when you see something on television that stirs your heart and and it's horrifying to see that the first thought will be, I need to pray for our missionaries because we're going to have somebody there. We have somebody there going through that ministry. And I can't tell you a lot about it in some of those countries, but there's not a country that doesn't have one of your people there ministering in that darkness. Do you pray for them? And in a few weeks, you're going to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and that's our lifeline. If we didn't have that, we wouldn't have anybody overseas. And that cooperative program you give to, that's the other oar of two oars that makes the boat go straight. If you didn't have that, we wouldn't have missionaries. Oh, we'd enjoy our life here probably. We'd look around and see we have a measure of peace. We'd be involved in political things and all that's going on today. But we would not be involved in something that changes the life of people forever eternity forever what is your part what are you doing what is your place in all of this is there a young person here that God may be speaking to a young man I, I'm almost out of time but I got to tell you one of the vice presidents of Goodyear Corporation retired some time ago several years ago 75 years old reading a Baptist paper one day saw the civil war in Rwanda and he read how Baptists had been asked to take care of 250,000 children whose parents had been killed in that civil war where over a million people died. The river, I went there myself, the river was running blood with people, with the blood of people. So much suffering. Children had seen parents killed right before their eyes. 
And uh, he read that in the paper, and it said, we need volunteers to go to that camp. He said, I've taught Sunday school, little children in Sunday school all my life. He said, there's no reason why I can't go. He left that beautiful home on the lake over, I think it's Louisiana, went up to the International Mission Board and said, I want to go to Rwanda. He went. I happened to be there. And I saw him out there in the field, and he was sitting on an old log. I don't know how many children gathered around him. And uh, he started, he didn't know their language, but they were interested in him. Children who hadn't spoken in weeks since their parents were killed before their eyes, they were catatonic. He started laughing, just big belly laughs. All of a sudden, those kids began to laugh with him. First time they'd smiled ever since, since all this. And they began to laugh. He rolled off of that log into the dirt and just laughed. And then he got up and he sat on that log and he started crying. Just, just crying. First thing you know, some little kids came over. One put their head on his shoulder. And he reached out and began to hug And those kids were crying for the first time. It had been bottled up inside. Here's a man, 75 years old. I mean, he's a kid compared to me now, but 75 years old, who heard God say, you can do it. And he went. And God used him, even without language to bring little children into a time of joy, peace. It's never too late. Never too late to do what God asks you to do. And I want to leave that with you this morning. What is God asking you to do this year in terms of missions? Father, come to us now. May your Holy Spirit stir our hearts. We've heard such wonderful music and prayer and, and we've read your word, Father. Now speak to us. I just pray that your Holy Spirit will sweep through this congregation and they're going to have the joy of reaching out to the darkest corners of this world from this very place right here as a lighthouse shining light into the darkness. Father, I just pray that they'll have the blessing and the joy of knowing that they're touching people for eternity. So, Father, we turn this time into your hands and we pray for this invitation that you might speak to your people, Father. And if there are those who have a decision to make to join this church or to come to know Jesus as Savior or to decide that this year I'm going to give more than I've ever given to the Lord for missions, Lord, whatever that decision is, I pray you'll give them the courage and the strength to do it today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand now and sing our invitation and the Holy Spirit is with us. If God is speaking to your heart and maybe you want to just say to the pastor or to one of the ministers that uh, this year I just feel led of the Lord that I'm going to do more for the Lord than I've ever done before. Will you come and share that and maybe some prayer? And uh, then go back to your seat. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus as Savior, how can you resist? How can you resist? 
come this morning and accept Jesus. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.